so glad that you're here today. This, I've said it before and I'll say it again, it's my favorite day of the week by far because I get to spend it with you. I get to spend it as we experience God together. And as we were singing that song just a second ago, I was praying for myself, I was praying for you, and I, I really sensed God saying somebody here, maybe a number of us here, need to hear the truth of that last song. That God's love never fails and that He can work all things together for good. Uh, I don't know if there's somebody here that you're just feeling like, man, things are so tough, and I don't know any way that this will work, can work, could work. I'm in the depths of, of hurt and pain. I don't know what's going on, but if that's you today, I want you to know God's love never fails. He can restore all things. He can do incredible things in your life. That's the story of so many people here today. So if that is the thing you needed to hear today, Hear it, and as you give yourself to him completely, he just wants to wrap you in his arms and to do incredible things. Well, if we haven't met yet, my name's Kevin, and if it's your first time here, an extra special welcome to you. I am so glad you're here, man. Uh, We know that God loves you, and we love you, and we are just so thankful that you chose to spend your Sunday morning with us today. I'd love everybody to do a few things for me as we get started this morning. Pull out the card that says Start Here. That's our connection card. And if you're a regular part of New Life, just put your name on there. I'll give you some ways you can apply the things we're learning today, uh, later on this morning. Uh, some place for prayer requests, some place to uh, get connected at the church. So if you're a regular part of New Life, just put your name. If you're new to New Life, if you're new with us today, you're just checking it out, would you give us as much information as you're comfortable giving us? That would just be incredible because we believe you're here because at some level— You're looking to connect, looking to connect with God, looking to connect with other people. We want to help connect you to God. We want to help connect you to this community, but we can't do that if we cannot connect with you. So would you give us as much information as you're comfortable with? And like I said, uh, especially if you're new today, I want to welcome you. If you would just give us that card at the end of the morning, we're going to have some baskets passed. Just drop that in. We have a guest gift out in the lobby for you. Uh, It's one of those brown bags. It's got some great stuff in there. It's just our way of saying thanks. Thanks for being here. Thanks for celebrating with us. Uh, and thanks for joining us today, and we are hoping and trusting that God's going to do something incredible in your life. Well, we are on a journey right now, and if you're just coming to New Life, uh, let me share with you a little bit about where we've been and where we're going. We're on a two-year journey that we're calling our Take Hold Initiative. The Take Hold Initiative uh, comes from a guy named Paul who says to this young Christian leader named Timothy, take hold of the eternal life that God called you to. Grab it. Chase after it. Wrestle it to the ground. Take hold of the eternal life that God called you to when you made a great confession, when you said, you know what, God, I'm yours. Because we believe that uh, life with God is more than just an eternal destiny. God has an incredible destiny laid out for us in heaven as we give our lives to him. But he wants amazing things for us today here, now. And so we're going to take hold of that. And we're looking at eight key areas of life that God, we think, is calling us to take hold of over these next two years. And the one we're working on right now is uh, our serving in our community, in our church, and around the world in a series that we're calling Servolution. And Servolution is simply this. It's up on the screen. It's sharing God's love and changing lives through simple acts of kindness. And so we started out talking about the church because we believe that God wants us to start serving in the church. He created us to be serving. We find fulfillment when we serve. So we started talking about the church. Then we moved out to the city, and we talked about what it looks like to serve and love and care for and share God's love with our city. And then last week was incredible. We had 230 of us come here at 8.30 in the morning, have some worship, take communion, and then go out and serve instead of having our Sunday morning services. It was incredible. So hey, you guys, thank you so much for doing that. I just really thought it was awesome. 
And I'm not the only one who thought it was awesome. I've been getting emails all week from people in our city. I want to read to you just a few of the emails that I've gotten from folks in our city. Uh, we had a gal named Elizabeth Hale, who she's the director of food programs for the Petaluma Kitchen. She said, I could see the work that you did when I came into the kitchen this morning. We so appreciate your help. She said, let Indigo, who's their volunteer coordinator, let her know if you're interested in doing another cleaning day. Thanks so much, Elizabeth. Uh, and then Indigo actually wrote as well, and she said, thank you to all the New Life members who came out. It was really a demonstration of faith in action. She saw our faith in God move into the streets. It was amazing. Uh, a man named Ron DeNicola, who is the building and ground manager, he said the McDowell Playground uh, wall and railing paint project was absolutely great, exclamation point. Thank you so much for your generous help, exclamation point. He was very excited, lots of coffee that morning. Uh, Without volunteer efforts such as yours, many of these types of maintenance jobs would not get done. So thanks again. Jane Hamilton, who is uh, director of Rebuilding Together Petaluma, thank you. She said, uh, thank you so much. This is so exciting. Wow. I cannot wait to see all the work you guys did. Uh, I'll share some photos with you, which she did. She said, thanks to Joe for your outstanding leadership. Thanks to New Life Christian Fellowship for your dedication serving our community. It made a huge difference in individual lives and the well-being of all. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And then the best one that I got was from a gal in the church who came in to me on Thursday, and she said, you know what? On Thursday night, our worship team said, let's just sit and listen for what God might want to say to us. And she said, when I was sitting there, and she actually, uh, she and her husband lead a number of our Mexico mission trips, and she said, when I sat there and listened, I heard God, and I felt like he really said to me, well done, church. Well done, church. And if there's anything else, there's just nothing better than that. For God to say, well done, that's our, that's our goal at the end of our lives. As a community, that God would say, well done, church. You did it. And so it was just an incredible time. Our hope was that that gave you a taste of what service could look like in our city on a regular basis. See, we as the church institution set up a big day so that we as the church community could grab five, six, ten people and go out all the time and just serve and love and care for people. So I hope you got uh, some excitement around that. I hope it inspired you to what could be, and I hope that you just keep on serving and loving people in Jesus' name as we go out. Uh, well, today we're kicking off our worldwide portion of our Servolution. This is our last three weeks of this series uh, for this summer, and I am so excited about it. We've got some exciting stuff up our sleeves. You are not uh, going to be disappointed that you came today. But before I jump in, let me pray as we get started. Holy Spirit, I invite you to uh, take these words that I speak and translate them uh, into the ears and the hearts and the lives of every person here. Uh, would you do something with this so that it's not just uh, words that come out, but that as we encounter you, the living God, our lives would be changed. Because Jesus, we want what you want for our lives and for this world more than we want what we want for our lives. Would you show us today why that is and why your love draws us into the world? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I just did my fifth wedding last month. It was very exciting. Not my fifth time getting married, uh, so I can still be, you know, I can still be here. It's my fifth wedding performing uh, on the fourth of this month, and one of the things that I found that I love doing at weddings is I love telling the couple's story, because when I tell the couple's story, it kind of draws in the people who are there, the community. The, the friends and the family of the bride might not know much about the groom and vice versa. And so I begin to share their story, how they met, what they said, what they thought, uh, usually what his opening line was, which I'm finding in my short survey, 
guys, we need to step up with our opening lines, okay? We really do. Here's a couple of Christian opening lines. Hey, baby, you're looking very fearfully and wonderfully made this morning. Uh, that would be a good opening line. The Bible tells us to greet each other with a holy kiss. That could be a fun opening line. Um, but hi, can you tell me what time it is? Not a great opening line. So guys, let's just step it up. That's, that's free. That's something extra, you know, uh, has nothing to do with the message. But just want to help you out there if you're single. Uh, work on the opening line. The Bible's got some great ones. Uh, so I tell these stories of these couples because I want to do a few things. I want to draw the community in. I want them to know who they're celebrating and why they're celebrating. Uh, I want them to find their place in the couple's story. Because usually when I tell the couple's story, then the couple sitting out in the audience begin to remember their stories, and they're hugging each other, and they're squeezing each other, and uh, sometimes she's hitting him. You know, it's, it's that kind of thing. Uh, and because it invites the, couple, the people in the audience just to celebrate what's happening on that day with that couple, really be drawn in. And I want to tell you that every one of us in here is part of a story. We're part of a love story. And it's a big love story. It's the story of God. And so this morning, I'm going to start by sharing a little bit about this big love story that we are a part of, because I have a few hopes. My hope is that if you don't know your place in the story, you find your place in the story today. My hope is that uh, as you hear God's love story, you fall more in love with Him because you see how much He loves you. My hope is that it gives you a picture of what will be in eternity, as we get a glimpse of it today. So I want to tell you about God's story because it frames the celebration that one day we'll all have in eternity. Here's how the story begins. It starts like this. In the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now that is a good way to start a story. That's an epic story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. See, there was nothing happening. The, there was no earth, no world. There was just darkness, and there was just God. And in the beginning, God created. He spoke, and then the world came into being. And God uh, created water and land and all sorts of things. And God said, let there be light. And then there was light in the world. And the lights came on, and for the first time, the world came into focus. It was this incredible story, and God created plants and animals. And then at the, uh, the apex, the top of God's creative ability, God created human beings. The Bible says he created man and woman in his image, and it was a beautiful thing. And he said to them, these were the first words that God spoke to man and woman. And if you've ever been on a diet, you'll like these first words. He said, you are free to eat, which is very exciting. He said, you're free to eat anything. And we're singing, amen, Lord. Give me back to that point. You're free to eat anything you want except for this one piece of fruit from this one tree because that fruit will do something that you don't want. It will lead to death. And so the story ends with this man and woman in the beginning falling in love with each other and having an incredibly intimate relationship with each other and walking with God and having an amazing relationship with God. But just a few chapters into the story that God tells, things go sideways. See, the man and the woman decide that that one thing that God said not to do, they're going to do anyway. They decide, you know what? God can't be trusted. I can't give him myself completely. I can't follow him. I can't do everything he says to do. I, I think I know better than God. I want to be like God. And so they went to the one place God said not to go, and they did the one thing God said not to do. And sin entered into the world. And it was nasty 
and destructive and painful. And it separated the man and woman from each other. And it separated the man and the woman from God. And he came walking into the forest, into the garden to be with them. And they hid from him because they were scared. And it began this break, this pain, this angst, this hurt that we feel today. If you're here and you're dealing with just incredible heartache or pain right now, it's part of this result of sin, of death, of brokenness. And the rest of the story is God calling people to himself. It's the creator pursuing the created. It's the one who spoke the world and sustains the world with his very words saying, I want you, I want you, come back to me. And so God goes to this guy named Abram, who later becomes called Abraham. He says, listen, Abraham, you are a crazy, moon-worshiping, half-sister-loving, lion, son of a gun, but I love you. I really do. You're a good guy. I want to do something incredible. I want to be your God, and I want to have this intimate relationship with you, and through your family line, I'm going to send a Savior one day, and he's going to call all the world back to me. And that's what God did some 2,000 years ago. And by the way, I put kind of the outline of this story in your notes so you can go home and read it. It's called the Bible, so you'll be reading for a while. But I gave you some of the outline for it. Um, In the Gospels, we see that God did it. Through this family line of Abraham, God sent Jesus Christ to be the Savior of the world to show us what it means to have a perfect relationship with God. And then our Savior was beaten And he was nailed to a cross in the most humiliating, excruciating, devastating way that I can imagine. He was crucified because he was perfect and we were not. So he took the penalty for our sin on himself so that we could be made perfect in God's sight and be drawn back to God. And then he died. But the story doesn't end there. See, he rose from the dead three days later, and people saw him. It wasn't just a story they heard. Hundreds and hundreds of people saw him walking around alive. He conquered death so that we could conquer the power of sin in our lives, so that ultimately we would conquer death as we lived in eternity with God. And this little band of people became known as the way, and later they became known as Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. And they started small, and the Romans, who were the ruling power of the time, they tried to kill this group of people. They tried to squelch this group of people, but they couldn't do it. They persecuted, they murdered, and then the people just went all over the world, and it began to spread and raise up. And in a relatively short period of time, this ruling power of Rome actually took Christianity as their religion, and it became kind of the world's religion at that point, and Christianity spread all over the world. It's an incredible story. It's a true story. It's a love story. And it's a story that did not just impact Jerusalem some 2,000 years ago. And it doesn't just affect Petaluma in 2012. And it doesn't just affect new life right here. See, this story is a global story. Billions of people have fallen in love with Jesus because of this story. Why? Because this story is true. People saw him alive. This story is powerful. This story is good news. It's the best news any of us could ever hear and any of us could ever tell. 
The church began to grow. This movement began to grow. This love story spread because God sent his own spirit to move around the world and to live within us and give us the power to conquer sin and death and destruction and to restore relationships. It's an incredible, incredible story that spans the entirety of Scripture and it goes beyond Scripture into our lives and into our present reality. And in Revelation chapter 7, which is the very last chapter, or the very last book in the Bible, we see a picture of how this story culminates, how it wraps up in the very end. And it says this in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and all people and all tongues, all languages, they were standing before the throne where God was sitting, and before the Lamb, who was Jesus Christ, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation to our God, and to the one who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. See, one day this love story will culminate with all of us from around the world standing together, worshiping God. And it will be bigger and bolder and more beautiful than anything we can fully imagine. I remember going to a missions conference when I was 23, and there were about, uh, I don't know, 30,000 people at this conference. It was huge. It was like nothing I'd ever experienced. We were in a basketball stadium, and it had those flip-up chairs. So we were all sitting down, ready for the first night of the conference to start. And the worship leader said, everybody rise to your feet, and let's worship God. And as we stood up, all the seats clapped up together, and it sounded like thunder in this room. And I literally, I'm, okay, I'm kind of a crier. I'll just say that right now. But I literally began to cry because that picture came to my mind. 30,000 people worshiping together, the sound of thunder when we all rose to our feet, and then we began to worship God together. And I think that picture was just a glimpse of what this picture will be when people from all around the world, every tribe, every tongue, every people group gather together to worship God. It's going to be beautiful. Did you know that 2.3 billion people right now, that's almost one-third of the world's population, claim to have some sort of relationship with Jesus Christ? That's just today. That doesn't count the thousands of years of history. See, this story has taken the world by storm. And so this morning I want to talk about what this story looks like around the world. And I'm just going to give a brief picture, and then next week Ron's going to come in in the morning, and he's going to tell us kind of what our place is in this story. So it's a kind of a one-two punch. So you got to come back next week to hear the rest of it. But I want to talk about what God's doing around the world because he's called us as a community to be part of a revolution in our church and in our city and around the world because he's doing something incredibly big. He's on the move. We think God's doing amazing stuff here, and he is. But did you know that God's doing— um, by far more amazing things in certain countries around the world. I mean, revival is happening. People are coming to faith in just incredible numbers. And I'll share some of that with you around the world. And see, we're part of this big story, and we have a place in it. We have a role in it. So this morning, I want to celebrate some of the things that God's doing around the world in his story. And then I want to talk about some of the difficult parts in the story. And then I want to give us one way that we can take part in the story. And then Ron will tell us more next week. Here's some of the stuff that's really exciting that God's doing right now around the world. Did you know that right now there are 6,800 languages spoken in the world? And the Bible so far has been translated into 4,800 of those languages. And that's pretty incredible to think about. 
That means that 6,650,000,000 people have the Bible translated into their language. The downside is another 350 million people still don't have the Bible translated into their languages, but Bible translators are working really hard to translate the Bible into every language. And here's why that's so important, because the Bible that we take for granted, that we have five of on our desk and in our office and in our garage sitting at home, is the Word of God to people. It's the word that transforms lives. I remember working over at Sonoma State a number of years ago, and I met with a group of three college students. None of them had any faith in God, uh, no faith background, no church experience. Uh, the way I met them was playing volleyball one day. One of them slammed the ball on one of the pastors that was there and said, F yeah, like right in his face. And I just thought that was hilarious. I said, I got to meet with you. Uh, this is just too, this is too good. So I started meeting with these three students, and one of them was a gal named Lydia. And I said, hey, Lydia, tell me what you know about God, what you know about the Bible, what you've read in the Bible. And she said, you know, I've only read a little bit of the Bible. And I said, okay, well, where'd you read? Give me a starting point so we know where to go. And she was quiet for a minute, and she said, well, to be honest, I've actually never seen a Bible up close, so I've never actually opened the Bible. And I said, well, okay, uh, let's start from the very beginning, because it's a very good place to start. Uh, and so we started in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and we talked about that, and she just started to eat it up. She'd never seen a Bible. She'd never read the Bible. She didn't know the Word of God. And so she began to read and read and read and pour over the Scriptures, and no one in her family was followers of Jesus. And one day I was giving a sermon on money over at the campus, and she ran up to me. This was about a month and a half later with tears in her eyes, and I said, wow, I had a home run on this money sermon. Man, this is fantastic. Tears in her eyes. I said, what's going on? She said, Kevin, last night I was praying that God would, would reveal himself to me. And my Bible that was up on my desk laying flat, somehow it moved like a foot and slid off my desk, hit the, other, hit the ground, opened up to the spot that you and I had talked about the week before in our Bible study. I began to read it, and I knew that God was real. So then I called my sister to tell her that God is real. And I got on the phone and she said, hello, and this, her sister said to her, hey, I know what you're going to tell me, but tell me anyway. And Lydia said, that's weird. How does she know what I'm going to tell her? So Lydia told her story, and her sister said, I know, because someone on my college campus gave me a Bible, and I started reading it, and I gave my life to Jesus a week ago, and God told me you were going to call me tonight and tell me that you gave your life to him. The Bible's being translated, which means the Word of God is going into our world, and lives are being changed forever. And Christianity is actually exploding in different areas around the world. Did you know that in South Africa, this is really, this blew my mind, in 1900, just over 100 years ago, there were 7 million Christians, but today there are over 470 million Christians in South Africa? Think about that. Just over 100 years, 460—yeah, you can clap that up. <laughs> Pastor Ron's like, yeah, I'm excited too. That's, that's incredible. 470 million people have given their lives to the Lord in just over 100 years. God's doing incredible, amazing, powerful, only God can do kind of stuff in the world, and we have the opportunity to take part in it. But you know what else I found as I was researching for this message is that like with any love story, there is tragedy. There's pain. There's that part of the story that you 
kind of would prefer not to tell, but it's part of your story, part of your family's story, and so you share it because it's the reality of what's going on. And here's some information that I found out that I need to share with you today. Persecution is going on at an incredible rate around the world right now. By persecution, I mean this. People who claim Jesus Christ as their Savior are being taken out of their homes, beaten, raped, thrown in prison, murdered. None of us have ever probably experienced something like that, where we came to church wondering, am I going to be separated from my family today? Is my wife going to be raped and beaten in front of my face because I believe in God? But that's something that's happening around the world right now. I have a friend who actually goes to church here, and he's in contact with missionaries in Mexico and Nigeria and India. And so he just was getting some research together for me and talking to some of the people that he knows. And he had a friend who's a Christian leader in Nigeria, and he said this, his friend who actually said, hey, I got, I got to remain anonymous right now because it's just not safe for me to share my name. So please don't share my name. But he said this, he said, we're facing the highest persecution in our history in Nigeria right now. He says, we've never seen anything like this. And then he went on to say, would you please call the Christians in your community to pray for us because there's nothing more powerful than prayer. So would you pray for us that God would continue to work and to move. Uh, In Chiapas, Mexico, uh, my friend has shared with me that when people become followers of Jesus, they're they're being forced to relocate, which means they have to uh, leave their homes, leave their families oftentimes, leave their job, leave everything they know because they've come to faith in Jesus Christ, but they're doing it because they're finding something real and true and deep, and they're finding their place in this love story that God is writing, and so they're doing it. But can you imagine? You come to church one day, you find God, you experience something incredible, and then you go home and your family doesn't accept you, and you lose your job because of it, and you have to move because of it, and your family won't take you in, and maybe you have to go onto the streets. See, there's some really painful, difficult stuff happening right now. When I was first on staff at New Life, um, our senior pastor, Ron, invited me to go on a missions trip with him uh, to India. And this was a month after uh, I came on staff, and my daughter was three months old, so I thought, man, if I go to India, I'll get, like, some good night's sleep. So I was like, yeah, take me with you. Yes. If, if the Lord wills it, I'll go. So Ron and I went to India. By the way, that's a great way to bond with your boss, okay? Just take, a, like, a 23-hour plane ride with him. Uh, hang out. And on the way there, he was sleeping and kind of, like, resting over on the side, and I kind of curled in because he's my boss, and I don't want to do anything. On the way back, he'd kind of go out, and I just gave him one of these and say, get back over on your side. But we went to India because for years we've been part of a ministry called Kerala Christ Church Mission as a church. We sent a team last summer to go over and partner with them. It started with one couple who started one church, and it has exploded over this couple's lifetime. Now they've planted 30 churches throughout southern India. They have a Bible college for local pastors. They have a Christian school that has over 2,000 students at it. They have an orphanage that they're running. It's just incredible what God is doing in India right now. But you know what came up as we were there was that the lack of resources for their ministry was incredible. 
they've got 2,000 students at this school, but they have thousands more students wanting to come to the school because it's such a good school. And when they come, they hear the good news about Jesus, and students in the school are giving their lives to Jesus, and then going home and telling their parents, and their parents are giving their lives to Jesus. It's changing the culture of their community through the school, and thousands more students want to come, but they have no space for them because they have no money for them. Uh, they want to expand their orphanage because there are forgotten children all over the streets of India, and they want to expand the orphanage, but they can't because they can't build more rooms. And so they're literally turning children away at the door because they just don't have any space for them. Uh, the churches that they're planting are exploding. Uh, when our team was there last summer, uh, they went to a church that started and uh, not that long ago, and then just about a year ago when we were there, uh, the church meets in a room that's about 13 by 20 square feet. Actually, it's closer to 10 by 20 square feet. Now, if you're not a math person, if you're not a visual, kind of get the numbers and look at that. I've taped tape around our auditorium that gives an outline of a 10 by 20 square foot box. So when you went into the lobby, you saw this tape and you thought, man, they're really letting this place go downhill. Uh, no, I did that, which is why it's not even. Just look at the walls. On each of these walls, that's 10 by 20, just to give you an idea. That's 10 feet by 20 feet. 60 people are meeting in a space that size. Along with the worship team, along with the pastor. Can you imagine being face-to-face -face with your pastor while he preaches the message to you? It's like you feel like the pastor is preaching just to you now. Think if he was right there. So what I want us to do, and I'm going to leave these up for next week, what I want you to do after service is just go stand in that box. When you've got five or ten people in that box, imagine 60 of you every week trying to worship God. Now, I don't tell you that to make us feel bad. I don't tell us that. We have four of those churches just in the empty space in the back of our auditorium. But that's not supposed to make us feel bad. But I am going to tell us about an opportunity we have to make an impact, to make a difference in a few minutes. They want to build more churches. They want to make more space for people to come, but they don't have any money. Lack of resources around the world is one of the major things that's hindering God from doing what he wants to do. And I share this with you because in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus has this really interesting interaction with a group of people. He's preaching to a large crowd. And some guy runs up and he says, Listen, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are here to visit you, which was a big deal because they didn't come around all that often in those days. And so if you're like me, you'd be thinking, Great, bring mom in. Bring my brothers in. I'm preaching. They get to see what I do. This is, this is awesome. But Jesus says this to the crowd of people. He says, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And then he stretched out his hands towards his disciples, and he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. And the reason why I'm sharing what's going on around the world is because according to Jesus, those Christians in Nigeria, the Christians in South Africa, in Mexico, in India, they are our brothers and our sisters. And I want to say this. There are our brothers and our sisters in a deeper way than even our blood relatives are. Jesus had his mom come. He said, who's my mom? The person that does the will of God is my mother and brothers and sisters. Remember back in Revelation chapter 7, I said all these people were gathered together and they were worshiping God. 
And I, I look forward to that day. I can't wait for that day. But one of my fears on that day is that I'll get into that worship experience and I'll be with these people from around the world, from throughout the history, throughout the ages, worshiping God. And someone will look over to me and they'll say, Brother Kevin, I'm so glad you're here. This is incredible. But they'll say, I gotta, I gotta be honest with you. When we were both on earth, I experienced things that you, you can't even imagine. And I could have really used some help. And you really could have helped me and you didn't. That's one of my big fears. Is that I'll get there and I won't have done all that I could. So I thought, well, what can we do as a church to, uh, to open our eyes to the things around the world? What can we do? I mean, we're 500 people in our church. What, what can we do in India, in Africa, in Mexico? What, what can we do to open our eyes and then to make a difference? And then I thought back to this Mexico, or this uh, missions trip that I had in Costa Rica when my wife and I were engaged about six and a half years ago, and I had my answer. So I'm going to tell you my story, and then you're going to figure out what your story is in the midst of it. Six years ago, we went on this missions trip. I was my uh, one of my first times leading a team overseas, and the director of the trip was kind of this loosey-goosey, free-flowing kind of guy, like, hey, we'll figure it out when we get there, which when you're taking people's college kids overseas, that doesn't go so well for mom and dad. But they let their kids go, and we got there, and part of our trip was four days where we drove by bus up to this remote village, and we were doing two things there. We were going to set up a medical clinic in this village, and then half of us were going to keep hiking medical supplies and food deeper into the forest where cars couldn't get to, to drop off medical supplies and food into those areas. We'd do day hikes, 10-mile hikes or so, up into the forest. And as we're driving up on the bus to go, the, uh, the leader says to me, he says, hey, Kevin, don't tell your group this, but I don't know if we're going to have any food when we get there. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I tried to get a hold of some people to get us some food, but I don't think it went through, so we might not have any food for four days. I thought, hey, surprise fast. That's exciting. Fantastic. Um, so we got there, and we didn't have any food. So we basically went to the community, and we said, hey, what, what do you have that we could have, that we could buy or use? And they said, we've got beans and rice. That's what we eat. That's what you can eat. So we said, well, that's great. Hey, at least we've got our water purifier so we can purify our water to make our beans and rice. And then on day one, our water purifier broke. So then we would go down to the river and get a big thing of water, take it up, boil it, which got the, the bugs out of it, but didn't get the dirt out of it. And so then we cooked our beans and rice in the river, just like the rest of the village did. So for four days, breakfast, lunch, dinner, beans and rice, beans and rice, beans and rice. Oh my gosh, beans and rice. Hey, what are we having for breakfast today? Beans and rice. Okay, well, what about lunch? Well, we're having beans and rice. So they'd come to me. I love dinner, Kevin. What are we having for dinner? Oh, you'll be really excited about this. We're having beans and rice. But you get to have rice and beans. <laughs> that four days in Costa Rica changed my perspective forever on our world. Did you know that four billion people, including a lot of Christians, live on about $2 a day? which means that beans and rice is their main staple every day, all day. In that experience, I learned how to identify with the people that I was serving, and God met me there. And so I thought, here's what we can do. We can do the beans and rice challenge as a church. So here's what the beans and rice challenge is. 
It's us saying that from August 27th to 31st, we're going to eat only foods that have beans and rice as their main staple. Five days, Monday through Friday, beans and rice, beans and rice, rice and beans, beans and rice. And so what what we're going to do is, if you'll take the challenge, and it will be challenging, but I guarantee it will be worth it, is I put a menu inside your program, which has beans and rice options. You can pull it out. It says, Servolution Beans and Rice Challenge. Don't make your grocery list now. Just take it home with you. Beans and rice options. There's like 20 different options in there. There's a few that are kind of more breakfast-oriented. By the way, if you're like, wait a minute, Kevin, you just told me that the people that you worked with only ate straight beans and rice. Why are we being so soft about this? Hey, listen, no one's stopping you. Be hardcore. Go straight beans and rice. No flavoring, no nothing. Power with power to the people. You know what I mean? Like, praise the Lord. Uh, Pass the hot sauce. I don't, you know, I don't know. Here's why we're doing this challenge. I want us to identify with our global family. That's the first goal of this challenge. Identify with our global family. Identify with those 4.1 billion people that live on less than $2 a day. And we're going to do it for five days, and they do it for their lives. The second goal of the challenge is that we would be reminded to pray. Every time we eat, think about eating, crave food, get angry at Kevin for this dumb idea— Every time we do that, I want us to pray. And so what I'm going to do is every night, starting the night before, I'm going to send you a specific country that you could be praying for. So if you mark down your Connect Card Beans and Rice Challenge, each evening you'll get a country to pray for with facts about the country, figures about the country, ways you can be praying for that country. India will be one of those countries because that's a community we partner with. Mexico will be one of those countries. Uh, We've got a few other countries that we're working to set up. And then the third one is, I really want us to really pray about and fund a church in a day. I think we have a picture of uh, the pastor whose church meets in that 10 by 20 square foot area. That's the pastor and his family. They meet with 60 people in a 10 by 20 square foot area right now. If we can raise $10,000, we can build for them a huge meeting space that would open the doors for God to work. And I really want to do that. Yeah, I think it'd be really fun. By the way, this will be the second church that we build in India. Before we ever built our church that we meet in here, we built a church in India. We built this church here, and then I want to build another church in India. I think it would just be an incredible thing. And as we prayed as a staff team, this is what God led us to. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. The money that you will save by eating just beans and rice that week, would you consider bringing it on September 2nd to a special offering we have, along with any extra money that God leads you to? And then we're going to have a time of worship and testimonies, and we're going to take up a special offering that day and try to build a church in India through this special offering. By the way, that offering is kind of above and beyond our regular tithes and offerings because we don't want to rob from Peter to pay Paul. That doesn't make any sense. So this is kind of an above and beyond. What's God leading you to above and beyond what he's already called us to as a church community? I'm giving you these menus now so you can pray about it for a week. You can think about it. This next weekend when you go shopping, you can shop for all the ingredients you need. And then the following Monday, a week from Monday, we're going to start the Beans and Rice Challenge together. I promise if you take that challenge, it will change your life. As we close this time, uh, in your Connect cards, there's a way to respond to the message. I want to know who's going to take the Beans and Rice Challenge with me. So if you're going to do it, just mark it on your card. If you're thinking about doing it, 
Just mark it on your card because I'm going to send you some information that would just hammer it home. Some good old-fashioned conviction. We're going to, it'll be fun. You definitely want to do this. You don't want to miss out. Each week, each day, you'll be getting a country to pray for. It's going to be incredible. So mark down beans and rice challenge on your card, and you'll be getting information from me in the next couple weeks as we take this journey together. And as we close this morning, I want to close with this. As I share about all the stuff happening around the world, the persecution, the fact that people are starving every day, they're dying uh, from diseases that could be treated, some of you might be sitting here wondering, well, why does God allow this to happen? Why does he allow us to kind of continue on this path? Why doesn't he just take us all to heaven now? And the Bible actually addresses that. The Bible says that God's not slow in keeping his promise, as some of us would consider slowness, but he's patient with us. And here's why God's patient. Because he does not want any of us to perish apart from him. The Bible says the reason that Jesus has not come back to take us all to heaven to kind of end this whole thing is because there are some of us, maybe some of us in this room today, who have never given our lives to Jesus Christ. And God doesn't want you to die apart from him. And so he waits. He's patient. He allows these things to happen around the world simply for you because he's calling you to come back to him because he wants you to be in that picture in Revelation chapter 7 where people from all around the world are worshiping God together. And if you've never entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm going to give you a chance to do that right now. You can pray a simple prayer that just says, God, I want to follow you. I want this relationship you've called me to, so would you bring me back to yourself? And if you're going to make that decision today, if you sense God stirring in you, sense him calling you, sense this nudging of God's spirit to draw you back to himself, you can pray that prayer with me. And then afterwards, you can mark down your decision on your connect card so we can connect with you this week and help you connect to God. So would you join me as we pray? Lord, thank you for making us a part of your story. Thank you that your story is bigger and more beautiful and more creative than anything we could ever imagine. Thank you that even though we are uh, just a speck on the timeline of this story, you've called us to have an integral part in helping people connect with you. So would you give us the courage and the strength to identify with people around the world in the situations they live in? Would you help us to open up our hearts to them so that we could walk with them now? And would you help us to do what we can do uh, to help draw people to you around the world, and specifically in India, as we look to fund this uh, church-building project? And as we continue to pray, if you're here this morning and you've never entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, where he is your Lord and he is your leader and he is the one that called you to himself, not your husband's or wife's relationship, not your parents, not your kids, your own personal relationship with him. If you've never made that decision, I gotta tell you, God couldn't love you more than he does right now. He loves you with an incredible love. That story I told this morning is your story and he's just calling you to himself. So if you've never entered into a relationship with him, you can pray this prayer and invite him to be your Lord and your Savior. You can just repeat these words after me, either silently in your heart or you can whisper them out. You can say, Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on a cross and rose again to forgive me of my sins. And today I invite you to be my leader and to be my Savior. Because God, I want this relationship and I want you. So would you fill me with your Spirit and would you lead me every step of the way. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.